Hello, and welcome to the Palladium Podcast. I'm your host, Wolf Tyvey. I'm here again with Ash Milton, our managing editor. Hey, guys. All right. So this is another weekly editorial podcast where it's just the editorial team. We get together, we discuss the topic of the week, which we have been discussing internally with the community all week. This week, the topic was how to save science. Uh, The discussions have gone in a slightly different direction. But we'll sort of walk you through what we've been talking about so far and then try to make progress on uh, what remains. So basically, this is following on last week where we discussed the postmodern condition. One of the big central things in central features of modernity and uh, and therefore important to understanding postmodernity was uh, this idea of science. Science uh, seems to be closely related to vast explosion in uh, useful knowledge, vast explosion in industrial capability, and and is at least implicated philosophically and politically in a lot of the transformations that happened in those areas that, that, that made up modernity. So we, we talked a little bit about science last week, but we wanted to delve into that deeper this week and sort of take a different frame on it, which was... There's obviously something great going on here with science, industrial progress, uh, modernity. You know, it has its problems. It's especially now gotten into a lot of lies about uh, objectivity, neutrality, and so on, expertise. It's become, in some ways, a system of propaganda. But there is something real and something great still there under the surface. And we so, so we wanted to kind of understand what it was that was actually working in modernity and how that might be saved or disconnected from the problems of the current order or brought up into an explicit post-modernity. Um, so, so that's the conversations that we've had. I will give a brief overview, I guess, on what we've been thinking about in these conversations. So Let's see. So the first question is, what is science and what is modernity? And we have this thing happening at a particular time in history. And the way I would summarize it is, or, or at the core of it really, is, is this idea of applying math in a rigorous way, creating mathematical models, and then somewhat rigorously connecting those models to empirical data and seeing how far they can go. And that is something that is fairly unique philosophically to the modern period, though also we discussed the degree to which they did similar things actually in the Hellenistic period in ancient Greece, sort of after Alexander, before Rome really took over everything. So there's this idea of applying mathematics to modeling reality. And that maybe is is one of the, the core items that makes modern science as we understand it possible. But that gets combined with an explosion in economic activity, in industrial activity that that in many ways doesn't actually rely on that. You know, the first first innovations in, uh, in, in the industrial revolution didn't have necessarily that much to do with science. And maybe they had more to do with changing just economic development, conditions of economic development in Northwest Europe and changing social structures and so on. And then I think simultaneously we have 
beyond just things like you know people studying the movements of the stars and coming up with models for how those movements can be tracked and predicted and so on we also have the cannon and gunpowder i think this is an important feature of the whole the whole the whole story because the cannon gets you artillery and that means you really have to care about ballistics ballistics means you have to have calculus you have to have the notion of acceleration and velocity separately you have to be thinking about momentum and and when you start to really model those things with a scientific mind you figure out that those the laws that govern the flight of cannonballs are very very closely related to the laws that govern the movements of the stars and yeah. that correspondence is yeah I, th- I think the key way to think about that is basically in the story of modernity science plays often a role later in the arc than uh the narrative likes to think about there are a lot of things that happen developments that happen that are scientifically legible but are not actually born out of a scientific impetus Science yeah that's, that's what we were saying with the, the with, with the industrial progress thing right exactly um yeah and and so i mean one really good example of that 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 came up in our internal discussions is the live steam injector, which is this spooky little thing you can make with no moving parts that you inject low pressure water and high pressure steam in one end, the steam coming from a boiler, and out the other end comes high pressure water, high enough pressure to go back into the boiler. It sounds like some kind of perpetual motion machine, uh, in fact, it sounds so much like some kind of perpetual motion machine that it wasn't allowed to be patented at the time because it was a perpetual motion machine. And But it worked. It was real. It, people in industry were working with this thing. And it's actually, this is how um, I think steam engines broadly adopted this little piece of technology, the live steam injector generally didn't use reciprocating pumps or or whatever but actually use this little injector because no moving parts and it just works it's it's really uh interesting go look it up if you're interested in how it works but it it was not like the science was not caught up yet to be able to understand why it worked and and so they thought it was a perpetual motion machine it turns out it's not actually a perpetual motion machine it can be understood in terms of momentum and energy and condensation and velocity and so on. It's actually tricky to understand, but it can be understood. Anyway, so but that's a good example where in, there was there was kind of two way dialogue between science and um, engineering, where they were both proceeding independently and or semi-independently and then innovations from one would flow into the other and and they would mutually accelerate each other so i think uh, sort of the key key historical ingredients of the industrial revolution in this reading are we had particular economic and social conditions that created the possibility for an industrial revolution just in terms of the the organization of labor and resources and so on and then we had uh, and 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 a lot of that is is not just sort of social organizational ideas, but things like the um, canal system in England, where there were enough there was enough land close enough to navigable waterways 
that that there was a very sort of large trade network that could be uh, the the grounds for an accelerating economic transition, and and without the scale that comes from that, you don't necessarily get the thing. Anyway, so you have that. You have these these economic conditions. You have philosophical changes in how people are understanding things like uh, the heavens and how they're doing science, and they're doing this this particular mode of inquiry uh, based on sort of looking at the data and coming to verifiable conclusions. And then you have, I think this also matters, the military pressure and the military innovations, um, especially via gunpowder. So you have kind of all three major estates of society participating in, in the creation of this new complex of feedback loops that became modernity. Um, but that's, I don't think we need to really get in too much into like, how did the industrial revolution happen? I'm, I'm sort of prepared to just say it was kind of a historical thing that just happened because, you know, enough of the right ingredients got into the right place at the right time. And, and what we really want to understand is subsequently, what was it? How are we to understand it? And how are we to cope with its current state? Yeah, let's remember the the initial question we had here at the start of all these discussions was, uh, what is the actual relationship between sciences and modernity? Yes. Um, what is the actual thing that powered modernity? Like, let's look at it structurally rather than through the the narratives that are promoted around that time in history. And what we end up seeing is there is a number of factors here converging. The interesting question becomes whether modernity is some kind of like higher level emergent thing beyond those things or whether it is just the convergence in which case science may be less dependent on it and the material progress we've had might be less dependent uh on on other factors including science than we've assumed yeah so i wonder let maybe let's just try to directly talk about that question how is it is it a thing in itself or is it some kind of convergence i think there's there's these things maybe aren't as distinct as they seem. I think there's sort of a convergence of factors that play off each other. And in playing off each other, they form a complex, which is itself a thing. We see this in the evolution of life uh, multiple times where you have and, and just and subsequently in the evolution of civilization, uh, you see these situations where you have a confluence of sort of mutually reinforcing uh, you know, autocatalytic loops. And then at some point, that whole thing kind of grows to an extent that it is worth speaking of that network as its own thing. And it starts to become governed and and evolve as a, a single thing. And so I think that might be what's happened with modernity. We have this complex of industry, scientific philosophy, and uh, you know, mathematics, physics, everything in between, and mm-hmm. and and then a bunch of social changes uh, as well but yeah. to sort of enable and and riff off of this. And I think that might be just what modernity is. Yeah, I think uh, that maybe um, a, a useful way to to make this intuitive, like it, it's hard when you're sitting in modernity or at least in in the the post wave of modernity to do the objective analysis maybe if we look at the hellenistic modernity that we've discussed this might become more obvious so on the one hand you have this interesting intellectual culture um philosophical including natural philosophy 
we could say proto-scientific in some of its forms. You yeah. also have a a military system uh, of of the Greek states. You all have, you have the economic basis, right? So the classes engaging in this are supported by an economy which is itself based on slavery, um, and that shapes the way it develops. Alexander the Great obviously is exports this culture, lays the foundation for it enduring kind of across Asia Minor and so on. And then at the, the the end of this arc, we have Rome come into play. And that's interesting because the Romans have a fairly distinct way of thinking. They're not just, you know, we talk about Greco-Roman civilization. It's not just that the Romans were part of this culture automatically. They have, uh, you know, I, I sometimes think about this in terms of the Greeks having a more scientific epistemology, um, right? Knowledge as something that is kind of determined through cooperation in these small groups of philosophers and the like. The Romans have almost more of an engineering epistemology. Um, they're they're sort of practically minded. The absorption of Greek culture takes a while. It has opposition uh, among the Romans. Well, I, uh, I think I think another thing that came up in our discussions was the Romans also had a more political way of thinking. Right. And, you know, you can't just adopt this new more sort of individualistic rationalistic uh scientific mode of thinking into roman culture and have roman and have their political structures survive not because the political structures were based on lies or something but because to be thinking scientifically you have to be you have to be sort of able to attack things and able to attack ideas often that that the political unity of society is is relying on in some right. sense. And I would say what and generally Romans, happens is the politics wins, right? Yeah. And well it's it's not like the politics wins as in as in like the you know like oh the the nasty politician comes in and wrecks our scientific paradise. It was it was like more specifically just the Greeks couldn't coordinate because they couldn't think politically and the Romans could think politically. And so, yeah. they well, I, I, I would put it more this way that the Greeks and or a large number of the Greeks uh, end up accommodating themselves to right. the Roman structure, right? They become the tutors. They become an intellectual class of sorts. Sometimes right. you do have the politicians come in and wrecking things. We we discussed um, in, in the community salon, I think it also came up, the Library of Alexandria. Um, yeah. And how Ptolemy the the eighth, I think it was, expelled a large number of the Greek scholars. So wow, this does them. happen. Killed but them. the more <laughs> passive process is that the, the 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 science or the knowledge, the intellectual institutions accommodate themselves to the political power. Yeah. No. The point I want to make there is that I think in scientific modern scientific thought, there's often this kind of cope that they have that. Science is fine and perfect if only the politicians would leave us alone. Right, would step and, aside. And and the uh, you know the politicians like politics keeps coming and 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 wrongly destroying this thing. And I think the point that we have to make here is that no, there's something wrong with your mode of thinking that's causing you to keep pissing off uh, the powers that be. And that causes you to not be able to actually coordinate and build powerful institutions. The the it's like the 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 wrongdoing is on the scientific side it, with respect to politics. Right, and you can gain value from the political side too, right? So right. the original Greek system of this, right? It, I mean, 
a lot of it based in Athens, but other cities as well. But it is based, it's focused on these small groups working in cities which are in varying degrees of conflict with each other. It's political moves by Alexander and by Rome that create this large, stable space where you can start having uh, essentially some kind of scientific community or philosophical community right, right. that actually encompasses an entire region of the world instead of very isolated ones that it would never have been able to spread without the political structures that were set up for political reasons rather than scientific ones right so so coming back to modernity as such we have this big question which is to what extent is science as we understand it actually a thing or modernity as we understand it actually a thing or is it just that we had like one that a, a, a kind of deconstructionist approach might be to say, well, there's a com there is a real complex of mathematics, technological innovation, industrial innovation, industrial growth, um, engineering, physics, uh, chemistry, other hard sciences. Those things definitely all feed into each other and they grow on each other. And there's a definite complex there. We'll call it, let's say, the technological complex. Um, and so is modernity simply the growth of the technological complex? And if so, then uh, if it was, if it is just the growth of the technological complex, so you have this technological complex, the growth of a technological complex that may be the actual power core of modernity. And then you have around that a bunch of social changes, a bunch of ideas like science as the, that now gets applied you know, far beyond that in things like social science and psychology and, and um, you know, the, this general kind of science is real. I believe the science uh, kind of like, it's, it's almost, it's a system of intellectual authority. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's become to underpin a lot of the legitimacy structures in our society. And that doesn't have any obvious relation with the actual technological complex. Like it's not actually the, the methods of the technological complex that are powering that other stuff. The, the idea of the scientific method as, as some unified thing that can be extended to those areas is perhaps not true. And so there's this that that is sort of a big interesting set of questions. And I yeah, there's like a feedback loop going on, obviously, because is there the, well in in the sense that I I think that the the technological side of this question, even in industry, they do adopt scientific forms. They use the uh, scientific authority, right, the role of expertise to legitimate themselves to gain credence, uh, even on the market, but the uh, process going on there, especially in, in R&D, uh, especially in, in who selects what gets developed, right? These are often political decisions, especially when um, public or like politically relevant research like military search gets involved. So it is not a uh, purely scientifically driven, but I think the the mode of scientific expertise basically becomes an important way that all these things try to justify the legitimacy. And this is the feedback yeah, loop. Yeah, yeah. But what does the feedback loop feed back the other way? That's an interesting question. Like, I, like I is, is, is like the technological complex meaningfully helped by the idea of a scientific society? I, I mean, I want to say it, you know, 
to the extent that like the scientific method and and scientific institutions help to discipline various various forms of research it might be we we were talking right about how there is a kind of convergence like we can in a way group physics engineering and these kind of hard mechanistic material and endeavors into a, a group they influence each other a lot more directly when we start looking at things like biology maybe this starts getting a little less certain i think when you look at social science it very obviously is a a tenuous connection um at, which by the way i don't think delegitimates social science i think it delegitimates the the way that they get legitimacy so but but that's that's one of the key things here right it's like there there are multiple projects going on they influence each other in various ways but the story that they're telling about why they're valid right they them all trying to free ride off of the authority that the thing we call science has gotten for itself i think that creates sort of like an inflationary effect on the authority of science as opposed to like the particular yeah. things that yeah. either researchers or industrialists are doing one of the things that i think is useful is the comparison between hellenic and um our modernity and that's this question we came about okay if we can call both these things modernity why do we have all this material progress why do we have nukes and the like and they didn't um that's where the convergence question becomes important because in well i mean that that might just be historically you know their thing didn't quite make it and, and I, I don't think it is just that i think we can look at a deeper reason which is that the social structure actually plays the important role what's happening is that in the roman system especially in, in the roman system but this happens before as well because the economy the economy is highly dependent on slavery because the priorities are things like transport logistics uh basically technologies that can help the political rule of Rome the kind of value created by these like greek scientific communities uh, and by experimentation mainly gets applied in those technologies it does not get applied in a bunch you know other parts of the economy which we would think of now as like for consumption because uh that would actually threaten the power structure and this is important because it shows that well what it, is it because it would threaten the power structure or just they didn't have the social structures for things like capitalist uh industry i think that i mean like if we imagine something like capitalist industry arising in the roman context i think it would have because it threatened slave economies in the modern context right we had there's the civil right. war in the us in south america you had civil wars between kind of essentially capitalist classes and the traditional uh planter classes uh i don't know why that would have been different in the roman context but i think right. in the okay, roman context point. the political authority was able to kind of stall venturing into those fields to begin with so that's important because it shows that our modernity uh the 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 social structures the market structures the class structures played the decisive role in actually letting uh science develop so to answer your original question wolf um because you were kind of saying you know what what what's different uh about science like in our modernity i think it's that the political power conditions science in a particular direction and that's interesting because that means that actually the the political authority over science is something that we tend to ignore and even the political power tells a story 
that goes kind of in the other direction where it's legitimate because it is the most scientifically valid or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And so to get around that, we started having to ask, like, if we're going to be truthful about what's working in the society, uh, and it turns out that the scientific paradigm isn't that thing in all cases, or even in a lot of cases, we start having to kind of think about, okay, then what is the successor, like, way of knowing uh, or, or ground of legitimacy or something like that, that is not just science, right? Once we have constrained the validity of science uh, to what it actually does and does well, we start having to ask this question about, okay, so is there something as fundamental as that in our society that can succeed it? Yeah, I, getting... I feel I feel like we've we've... So this is the major central issue, right? Is this this idea of the true nature of science? Uh, we may want to get rid of that word, but but the true nature of science is, in some sense, this relatively smaller technological complex, uh, the techno-industrial complex, basically, that was enabled by some some changes in social structure that supported it. But then it got overextended to the rest of society and to other forms of knowledge, like to the humanities, for example, as social science, psychology, um, various attempts at scientific history, etc. And, and so the idea of science, a like capital S science, is actually a mistake. And the techno-industrial complex isn't that, isn't, uh, it's, it's in some sense the, the, the power core behind science, but it, science isn't just that thing. Science is this idea that is sort of metastasized and taken over the legitimacy structures of all knowledge in society. And, and so this is the core issue that I feel like we haven't, like, we've been trying to get to this, but, but I, I want to restate it more tightly, that it's, that's what happened. And then now the question is, like, we started out with the question, how do we save science? And the conclusion actually that I have come to in thinking this through is we don't need to save science. We need to kill science as we understand it. Like capital S science needs to go away. Yeah. So what do you mean, Wolf? Do you want to bring mysticism into the schools? Are we going to read the stars again for knowledge? Yeah, you know, your kids will meditate in school, right? But let, let me let me get there. Let me get there. So the technical complex, I don't think actually relies on science. Uh, relies on the ideology of science because the technical complex it knows how it discovers things it doesn't need to be told that it's the scientific method it's not the scientific method the scientific method is some bunch of crap that they came up with later the they they know how to discover things in mathematics they know what they're doing in mathematics they don't need any particular sort of higher ideological system to help guide them they know what they're doing in engineering they know what they're doing maybe they know what they're doing in physics i'm not sure physics certainly did know what it was doing for a long time the you know our, our, our salon with with wolfram about mm -hmm. the state of physics uh you know i think i think we had some good discussion there of about like whether or not they know what they're doing in physics but but they mostly seem to know what they're doing in physics they know how to like discover things um, maybe not in how to make breakthroughs, but they know how to push knowledge forward. The basically, the technological complex, sort of what is called the hard sciences and the applications of those hard sciences, I think that complex doesn't rely on the idea ideology of science. And then so the question is, what does the ideology of science actually do? And 
the idea of the ideology of science ends up, I think, just messing up fields like social science or, or what we might call sociology or just the humanities. Yeah, I, I want to make that point quite strongly, right? Go for like it. We, there are so many of these fields where um, useful work. So let's take like sociology, history, political science. The like broadly sociological work done there is super fascinating, useful stuff that helps us understand how institutions were built, right? Like a, a lot of the pieces we do about deep political history are about how institutions were built. Yeah, and even how, even political theory, right? Like right, actual right. social theory. It's, the theory matters in a lot of cases. It's, I it's, think this is super valuable. There's often fantastic stuff. But, right, but when political science tries to do linear regressions, right. I'm not convinced that this is the best use of their time. And I would no, propose it's, that it's maybe trying to be scientific garbage. It's is garbage. taking away from their value. The, the thing about the whole like linear regressions ideology is it's actually just garbage. Mm -hmm. It... It uh, and it does like, not make predictions, right? That's the key thing. Well, it and, and what it's like the key do. thing, the key thing is it's 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 in some sense like these are the robes you're supposed to wear when you're doing science. Except that the thing that science bases its legitimacy on, which is the technological complex, doesn't think that way. So there's like there's one error, which is you take the methods of the technological complex and try to apply them in the humanities, and and that that's like you know it's an understandable error maybe, but it doesn't actually get you very far because the methods of, of let's call it the, the technological complex, don't really relate to this totally different way of thinking. And the knowledge that's produced in the humanities is not produced by means of the same kind of thinking. But then there's this other thing going on, which is the this sort of rectangular, linear, statistical ideology that goes by the name science and that actually bears very little relation to not only bears very little relation to the technological complex, but actually doesn't do very much either. It doesn't actually create useful knowledge. It doesn't like the key thing that made the technological complex work was it set up this feedback loop between uh, practice, like very functional practice that was able to uh, get going of under its own steam and and didn't need to be justified in any kind of like ideological sense but i mean it, it did but not not because of how it was doing things or whatever it it actually just um it provided enough energy that it got going like like the fire of industry got going it didn't matter kind of necessarily where it came from philosophically it it was under its own power whereas uh, and and then once you have that, then it's feeding knowledge, it's generating its own knowledge, which is getting translated back into the the technical sciences uh, and the technical and, and natural philosophy and so on. And as you mm -hmm. see these things like the live steam injector and so on. And and that feedback loop where the industrialists and the tinkerers and the engineers are reading the work of the of the scientific philosophers, and the scientific philosophers are studying the work of the engineers. That feedback loop creates something that is very grounded uh, and and has has like that discipline of of creating real technology and also uh, is able to have the the philosophical discourse creating kind of better and better theory and concepts and and that and that thing so you you could imagine that happening in psychology and uh, the humanities and so on. It hasn't really happened that way, or perhaps it has happened. And the result is 
the humanities and the traditional liberal arts, and, and, and it's not scientific, but the idea that there is any particular relation between how you should do things in in the technological complex and how you should do things in the, let's say the humanities, like that idea, which is the idea of science as such, is really questionable. Right. And the I think the important thing to mention here is that this seeps into politics as well, right? So, you know, you, you can look as, at, at something as academic as uh, evidence-based policy, right? As an example where, yes, in theory, obviously, it's a good idea if you're figuring out like decisions of governance, let's try and figure out how they work in various situations and make the best decision. But when this slips into a legitimization frame, right, of being in some sense, the most scientifically valid political actor or something like that. I, I think this starts very obviously getting into uh, an invalid use of scientific authority. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I think the whole concept is invalid and perhaps was constructed to be invalid from the beginning. It, like the in the 30s, I think, they sort of invented the idea of modern empirical statistical, like what we understand today of like the statistical ideology. Um, right, econometrics and so on. Right, and, and I think that was the early 20th century. And I think it was explicitly uh, a program of setting up a new authority structure that that they would be able to justify like science had a lot of clout at that time or what what was called science at the time which was the technological complex and and some of the other things that had grown up along this alongside it like you know biology and and geology and other things like that that are less directly technological but but did have some feedback and and some relation to the the hard harder sciences but that that general scientific complex had a lot of clout at the time and there were there was a general push in society to do a lot of social reengineering in the early 20th century people had these ideas we're going to remake we're going to you know we've just remade industry we've just like totally remade all how we see the world etc now we're going to go and remake society and they needed they needed an authority structure that would justify that and i think i can't state this definitively, but I'm pretty sure I've read documents from some of the big foundations that funded the sort of statistical social science thing, where their reasoning was effectively that they needed to create a new authority system uh, that would be able to justify the social changes that they wanted to create. Yeah. Interestingly, this I, I think people will hear this and sort of assume this is, oh, well, this is like communism and so on. And I mean, yeah, obviously those ideologies were highly influenced by it, but it also influenced the right in a strong way. Uh, Augusta Comte, who is one of the you know kind of great positivists, had a lot of influence in, in, in right and even far right circles in Europe. Uh, obviously, in, in the modern day, um, the way that a a social science like economics is used for more market-oriented or neoliberal ways of thinking, like, you know, we see out of the University of Chicago, that is used for uh, more modern conservative movements. So every part of the spectrum is influenced by this process to the point where today, yeah, yeah. I would say there's not a single holdout really to that. Yeah, yeah. And this this is the final triumph of modernity as we understand it, right? Is this idea of sort of basing basing intellectual authority, like the legitimate ways of knowing in society are 
like the most legitimate way of knowing or one of the most legitimate ways of knowing that that dominates uh, most institutions and most activities is the scientific way of knowing where where scientific is in quotes here scientific is in quotes here because again this is this, this is this manufactured thing what what is modernity modernity is a conflation of factors an important one of which is the development of modern science modernity is in, in its in its ideological form is the ratcheting up of the scientific mode of authority to all spheres of life do yeah. we, does that the, get the, to the heart of it? Do you think? I, I'm not sure though, because I think I think the thing that was happening in the sciences, let's say in the 19th century, is very different from what we now know of as like capital S science as a mode of authority. Like science wasn't a mode of authority. It was this interesting thing going on, being done by gentlemen who were figuring out. I mean, it was a mode of authority in the sense of like, like it competed with modes of authority, and it it sort of filled that role as like you can know things without going to the priest or without going to some official news source by by independently verifying them yourself that was kind of the the old idea of science but it became the new idea of science which is like there is this expert class they have this thing called the scientific method which is this quasi magical uh method to kind of bless specific proclamations with with this like epistemological power um and it's sort of based on it's based on the mythology of the old form of science right right uh, but it's not that thing itself. yeah no no and i, I want to say i'm not saying that science that like sort of the real science the the royal society and its successors took over society i think that the power structure free road in a sense uh or appropriated the ways of establishing legitimacy in the scientific community for themselves that yeah, is the way well, i would think I, of it here's here's one and also to, to control you know how you could state uh how you could legitimately state facts or forms of knowledge right it it, it colonized the epistemology as well in, in varying degrees i don't want to say it's the only epistemology in the modern era but it's a very strong one yeah and and i think uh what you described which is this process of kind of the powers that be dressing themselves up in the language of science, that thing, I mean, we could call that modernity. We could also actually call that the postmodern condition because by that point, you're already somehow very dishonest about what's going on. And, and there's, a, there's a deep dishonesty to it that, that is related to what we were discussing last time, the postmodern condition where there's this like, this, this dressed up, vision of uh, or dressed up narrative of objectivity and verifiability and expertise and so on but actually what's going on under the surface kind of has less and less relation with with that um mm -hmm. and and so that's the thing like the 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 sort of fakeness of that thing is what postmodernism kind of is reacting to anyway so this gets us to this question uh, or, or one more statement, perhaps. I, I mean, we're we're having a really hard time getting to the core question here. But, but the the another statement I think is really important from our previous discussions is that this is ultimately about what areas of society are governed by what mode of knowing. Like currently, mm -hmm. you have I think it's maybe most obvious in the humanities. 
is the humanities governed by ultimately sort of a scientific uh, approach where, you know, you can say things like, well, there's no evidence that, you know, whatever, or, or is it, is it, does it have its own way of knowing? And I think, and then you can extend that to a lot of different areas in society, like public policy. Is public policy a scientific enterprise or is it something else? It, like is statecraft subordinated to science or not? Is, and then, you know, we can get into things, even simple things like, I don't know, like, like the, the trades, the, the crafts, engineering and so on. Like even those, there is this question of whether that mode of knowing uh, should pretend to be scientific. I think it's hmm. it's sort of one of the more distant ones from scientific authority right now. Well, can you explain enough. like what would you see um, given this kind of your background? What does a non scientific mode of knowing in engineering look like? It's a bit of a diversion, but I, I think it's a useful non humanities anecdote of like how this works. I would say maybe not in engineering uh, because I think, well, again, I think engineering is properly part of the proper complex, the technological complex that perhaps used to be called science, but, and, and science now claims, it claims that that thing sort of flies the banner of, banner of science and it is made to fly the banner of science, but it has its own, its totally own way of being. Hmm. Like, uh, it's not totally its own. I mean, like engineers take, Engineers read scientific papers. The scientific papers operate on generally like academic science norms. Um, but maybe it's closer to the craft end of things where there is a way of knowing which is much more intuitive based on like building technique, like just technology. It's, it's, it's this tinkering, very practical, sort of in the lab, figuring it out kind of way of knowing, which isn't. It isn't scientific, so to speak, it, but it 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 builds these technological products that can then be understood by science. And I think we see this in machine learning right now, where there's this mm. sort of it's not a lot of necessarily scientific model kind of rigorous thinking going on there, but we do have a lot of tinkering, a lot of building. Um, and people figuring things out and yeah, and less reliance on models, uh, one might say. Yeah, yeah, and but that's that's like I don't know. I don't think those things have to be meaningfully separated, like from from science or whatever. I think the the question is: Are there other areas that like what is the rest of society like? Why does public policy talk about there's no evidence for X? W what has that got to do with anything? Like, are you trying to build a machine or not? Like, there, if you're trying to build some piece of machinery, you just have a bunch of engineers go and figure it out and they know how to read the papers and so on. They don't need to, like, be browbeaten about the fact that there's no evidence that the thing's going to work. They just either build it or they don't, right? And so the the science as this mode of authority, which has sort of claimed claimed sovereignty over much of society and legitimacy in, in like dis, in, in resolving epistemic disputes, that thing is, again, it's this weird outgrowth of the original technological scientific complex that dresses up in its language to some degree, but actually is its own thing and has, has come to dominate society. And so our conclusion last week with the postmodern condition was that somebody needs to come up with a properly postmodern paradigm. 
an explicitly postmodern paradigm. And, and this week, this big central question we're left with is how do we replace science as an ideology? Like science has come to structure or, or what gets called science. Again, I, I hate mm. actually it's like how do you call it that, how do you kill like, science tm to yeah. save the physicists and the chemists and the biologists I, and like i i don't think the physicists and the biologists and stuff care like i think they're doing fine on yeah. their own or if they're failing they're failing for their own reasons there's like a spook here that has to be uh exercised yeah and the spook is this idea of science that can be applied beyond the the technical sciences like you could just kill the entire idea of science uh in society and the technical stuff I think would be fine. What wouldn't be fine is the rest of society. And the reason for that is not that science is like doing a good thing. It's just that it's filling that vacuum of what do we agree is, what is the agreed upon mode of uh, public epistemology? If you don't have an agreed upon mode of public epistemology, and, and we're having kind of problematic breakdowns in public epistemology right now, with like the state of journalism and so on. But if you don't have that, uh, you've got a fairly dire situation, a fairly yeah, chaotic yeah. situation. By the way, in terms of our terms here, I, I just want to flag something. I'm sure Go we're going to get questions of, well, why don't you use the term scientism, right? Like that, that is a term. Sure. Um, maybe, maybe it's even should. a good placeholder term. Uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. I, For me, I think that scientism... One thing is that to to me it, it's kind of a a more narrowly epistemological use. I don't think it gets to the heart of this like legitimacy question. But I also kind of want to take it to the home ground, right? Social epistemology is inherently about the legitimacy of of ways of knowing, right? I I think they are inseparable. Right, right. But what I'm saying is, I think there are a lot of people who will very gladly say, oh, yes, of course, uh, the scientific attitude is fallacious, and then they will wake up the next day and keep on doing what they're doing with science TM, right? So, right. okay, let's just take it to the home ground then and call it science and, uh, like, kill that Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we need to kill science. <laughs> like, like, this is... And, and I, like, I don't want us to be misunderstood as to be saying something anti-intellectual or anti-technical... Or like mystic or whatever. The the point is that there is this ideology that has taken over the uh, the intellectual authority structures of society, and that ideology actually doesn't have the legitimacy that it claims to have because it actually doesn't bear that close a relationship to the technological complex which it claims to have created, but it mm -hmm. didn't. And and so the question then is like. How do we get rid of science? Uh, this is the very the most the most provocative statement of it is is there's this ideology which we call science and and how do we get rid of that thing and replace it and and not just like oh let's smash it and stop believing in it because then we have no society right yeah, if we have no authority structures we have no society so the real question is how do we replace it what actually should be our authority structure how do we know what is true. What is the way that we know what is true that that people should believe in and defer to? Because like one of the things that like one of the sort of little bugs in uh, the little anomalies in the scientific worldview today is like the thing is based on this idea that anyone can verify the knowledge. In actual fact, no one ever does verify the knowledge by replication. And, and this is so bad 
that went to the it's so bad to the point that the knowledge has actually diverged from ability to be replicated such that we have the replication crisis in in so-called science right the empiricism is so specialized that there are like hard obstacles to easy replication no but it's 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 beyond even just specialization it's it's that like they're no longer actually talking about reality in some sense mm. like like and and you know this this would be a very bold claim except that the replication crisis is well known yeah um and like the 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 whole fields whole fields are are getting like over 50% replication failure rate in in the claims that they're making when someone actually goes and tries to replicate because what's going on there is not anyways basically people are not actually replicating things enough uh and aggressively enough and and uh, the ways of knowing the scientific way of knowing absolutely requires that people actually go and replicate the stuff mm-hmm. and actually go and, and verify. And then so you get these big disputes in things like climate science where the models are kind of these opaque black box, super complex coding, like coded systems with all these data, all this data and all these conventions and how we're interpreting the data and, and et cetera, et cetera. And the thing is so complex that no one can actually independently verify it yeah, without yeah. making all the same assumptions themselves. I, I and actually so what think you actually have example. is a bunch of people who have studied the issue and this is their opinion about it. And like, this is the conclusions they've come to. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're not. Right. 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 And, and we actually I, I don't wanna, have I want to emphasize what's happened it. with climate science there. Right. Is, is that um, th- because there is such a high complexity to the thing, Combined with the fact that from, you know, the 90s onward, people were taking any initial model and making like very extreme and bald claims about it without the acknowledgement that these were like hypotheses uh, at, at the very least. There, no, what's happened now is a total delegitimization, not because necessarily uh, climate science was wrong about climate change or about some of the extreme effects. I, I think that um, we're seeing a lot of the predictions starting to play out in various ways. Well, I think some, climate some change of the is happening, you can't, but you can't, you can't know what predictions they actually made because they made many different predictions. Well, well yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so it's like, okay, so some number of these predictions and models were more correct than others. And that's how science is actually supposed to work to, to varying degrees. But what happened was that for political reasons, there was this like homogeneity, surety, uniformity that was presented to the public to the point where now, even when the climate scientists are right about something, there are huge swaths of the population that basically think they're false prophets that you know they have nothing useful to say even as there are like extreme weather events and this kind of thing happening yeah and i i seem to recall other examples where the actual scientists are a lot more careful than like let's say the science communicators right right than the science enthusiasts and the politicians and and is not just in the climate science stuff yes yeah i'm not saying that the climate scientists entirely screwed up here although i'm sure to a degree that happened in some quarters, there was a combination of things going on. Really, this comes down to, so there's a bunch of things here. Let's try to detangle it so we can really understand it. So one, how do we actually come to knowledge, a real knowledge? How do we have, how do we set up feedback loops and create and, and come to know that we have real knowledge? That's question number one. Question number two is how do we do political authority? Because 
whatever's going on with a lot of the stuff like climate science and and actually a lot of the stuff in psychology and and medicine and so on a lot of that is just the actions of power laundered through this thing called so-called science and like for whatever reason the powers that be want to respond to something that they have come to believe uh in they, they want to respond to a threat that they see or Maybe, I mean, I've certainly heard some theories that, that there's even like more indirected uh, uh, motivations than that. But, but basically, the powers that be want to do something and they need some legitimacy to do that. And they are often sort of we're often forced to appeal to science as a sort of fount of legitimacy that that for some reason people believe in. And then. That that allows justification of what power wants to do, mm-hmm. and 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 like, I mean, maybe maybe they're actually doing a good thing in in shorting the science bubble by just like abusing it so so uh, terribly. Like there there is an argument if science actually is a if science as it's being used right now, uh, as we're as we're understanding it, is actually a bad idea and is actually a spook that needs to go away uh part of the way that it actually goes away is by being abused to the point of total right. illegitimacy yeah um and and so maybe maybe it's a necessary piece of the the process of history you like summon the demon so many times that he leaves out of sheer bloody mindedness yeah i'm yeah. not coming anymore yeah yeah well it's it's yeah you're just you're just invoking this thing to the point of absurdity and and maybe that's part of the historical process. But we do have to have like it's going to keep getting abused until we have some alternate. Right? right. And and the lies are just going to get worse and probably more socially harmful until we have some alternate. So where and and so the question then is, OK, I, I mean, I've I've gone on at length here, but the question being what alternate mode of legitimacy for the judgments of the powerful can we find? Because that's that's really the the issue here, right? Is like the powerful have something they want to do. They need a legitimacy for it, and they are perfectly capable of manipulating whatever you know other forms of legitimacy are around. Like the problem here is that science TM can be manipulated by power by yeah. through a variety of method, methods, like funding the people who have the right results shaming the people who have the wrong results, you know, convincing everyone through various other forms of uh, supposedly legitimate intellectual authority like journalism that that certain conclusions are the correct conclusions and they should try to feed into those conclusions. Like you generally have- Or like, this, these are the wrong scientists. They're, they're, these are these are Chinese or Russian scientists. Right, right, right. Or, or like science can't possibly be apolitical. Scientists have to think about the political impact of their work. In other words- you're just a politician or you're like you're a propagandist you're mm-hmm. not a scientist I, I i think like we have to come up with some mode of authority that covers the the political the properly political so that the properly political doesn't have to go and pollute our actually scientific or post scientific mode of knowing those are the two questions i have question number 1 how do we actually come to know things with like what is our actual epistemological core that actually produces the knowledge, and two separately, how should power uh, be? Leg- how should the actions and desires of power in reorganizing society and reorganizing how people treat? I, I don't even want to invoke what is true because truth is kind of this one of these weird concepts is caught up in the current thing. But how should 
people like like power wants to influence behavior. How should that be justified? Why should power act the way it does? What not not just why should power act the way it does, but why should people change their behavior when power wants them to? Mm. Or when the powers that be want them to. Yeah. And and right now, like the answer is because science and that's a bunch of lies, but we need something better. And so these are the two questions I have. Yeah. So I'm going to take a stab at that first question. Go for it. Uh, and maybe it'll open something up for the second question. I think that the useful way to do this might just be to take a, a, a stab at presenting a paradigm and unpacking whether it works or doesn't work. So kind of to preface it, one of the names that came up... Let's stick our necks Yes, up. yes, exactly. <laughs> one of the names that came up in our discussion was Firebend, who right. you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners will know was one of the kind of most extreme critics of scientific method as the sort of universally applicable thing. Like his basic observation was that when you look at the actual history of science, you end up not really seeing that kind of unified method. He was fond of looking at Galileo, for example, and looking at how, oh, he used things like uh, rhetoric and political machination to get his ideas accepted as much as he depended on like the the observations that he made through telescopes, which themselves were were not obviously acceptable in the paradigm of the time, right? Uh, they're, they're not a sort of everyday empirical observation. They're a very specialized form of observation. And so what Feyerabend concluded was that actually the only principle uh, that you can state about the thing we call science that in terms of any kind of method is that anything goes. And one of the criticisms that came up here was, okay, but even if you want to admit that Galileo did these things, and he he, he did, that doesn't invalidate the actual method that he is creating around um, the, the observations he's making. And so the paradigm I think we can put forward here, uh, I mean, yes, uh, it is sort of what works. This methodology, the scientific methodology that we have today does work in a number of cases. Well, Last hold on, hold on. Talked... What, what scientific methodology? Whose science? I, I, well, yeah, I, I'm talking very basic terms here about what we call the scientific method of No, but proposing... oh, like, let's, let's, let's take our, let's eat our own dog food here. The scientific method isn't real. What do you mean? Okay, so I mean the process of proposing hypotheses and testing them to see if they can be falsified. Does anyone actually use that? I mean, I guess people I use it. I think people as, use as that. one of the things. I don't know if they use it well. Or if no, they use I, I mean, like, like, you know, when I've actually tried to build things in the past, I think certainly you have you do you do want to do like tests. But I think the scientific method as taught in high school isn't necessarily the best actual description of what you're actually doing when you're trying to create. OK, knowledge. maybe. But I, I think the paradigm I'll present will, will sort of resolve this. So okay, go for let it. me present it. We can then critique the thing. We last week we kind of discussed right Mary Harrington's uh, observations about good enough grounds of meaning, and that in reality this is a very valid response to the postmodern condition. So, to the degree that the thing that the, the communities of scientists develop methods that work in what they're doing, I think we can simply state: okay, if they're working, these seem to essentially be good enough grounds of meaning. But if we have these historians over here, these sociologists or, or you know, political scientists, economists, whatever else, or psychologists who are using a distinct method that is also providing some kind of useful and interesting results, there is basically no need for them then to adopt what is working in the area of, of physics or, or in the more strictly scientific communities. We basically apply the principle of, okay, 
test the method, test the epistemology by seeing what it is able to generate, but do not assume that that method is useful for generating like the universally important or applicable forms of knowledge. So this sort of very simple answer to um, you know what kind of post scientific universalist thing we could invoke here. So let, let's let's um, let me try to restate that. I think what you're saying is each field or each community of practice, each community of experts develops its own ways of knowing things that they come to believe are the right ways of knowing things and they maybe work for them. And then the field overall has to kind of convince the the rest of society that uh, and perhaps the rest of like other fields that they know what they're talking about right and i'm seeing this in a restrained way right not not no not the way of knowing things the way of knowing certain things which are right valuable. right way of knowing things in their domain or like like they have a mode of interaction that seems to be able to produce a certain type of knowledge and and so i think the key thing here though is the the key thing that like the mythology of the scientific method did was it was an attempt at the translation layer between these different fields. Yes. Like and an attempt to distinguish between the fields that are garbage and the fields that are actually producing knowledge. Because there is that distinction. There are garbage fields. Like you yeah. can get a whole bunch of people studying like key powers you know, in, in martial arts or whatever, and they all believe each other and they all think they know what they're doing and they're, they're able to do all this amazing stuff with their students. And then like one boxer comes in and, and like can beat up all the, the big key masters. Right? <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and like there are, there are garbage fields. Uh, yeah. Same thing with, with, I mean, some of the things so-called pseudoscience, though that said, I think that, I think there's things currently called science that are in fact pseudoscience and there are valuable things being done in so-called pseudoscience. Like, for example, I love Scott Alexander's old post, the, what is it, parapsychology is the control group for science. <laughs> uh, like, basically, that, that they're, this is another example of, of, like, abusing and shorting the scientific method, where they are impeccably doing the statistical scientific method and producing you know, high-powered, statistically high-powered results proving ESP and so on. And, and like, basically the rest of the scientific community doesn't believe in those phenomena, but they do believe in the method. And the method is producing, not uh, like, proofs of those phenomena. So it's kind of like this big this big anomaly that no one knows what to do with. Right. I, so I just so love what specifically exists. is happening when we have a garbage field that is shown to be a garbage field? Is it that the results that they claim to be good at getting are done better by someone else? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe it's different for, for each one. This is the big question is how do you distinguish between garbage fields and non-garbage fields? And currently... Our mythology of doing that is the scientific method. Yeah, I is said. it scientifically valid or not? It, I, it I doesn't. Think that, but but that like that doesn't actually hold water because you go and look at the detail cases. Mm -hmm. You get things like parapsychology on one hand and mathematics on the other hand, or climate science, or or whatever, or, deep history or like geology, of where like yeah, history, where like in some cases there's clearly knowledge being produced and it's definitely not produced according to the scientific method. In some other cases, you definitely have the scientific method being applied and it's definitely not producing knowledge. And so like, I think basically that what we need is a, a better replacement for that. So how do we actually know 
so within fields, I think within fields, it's like they either get it right or they don't. They they get the thing, which is they figure out how to produce the knowledge. They figure out how to discipline themselves with con- enough connection to reality or whatever uh, that they're able to produce knowledge and they're able to build an expert community that mutually recognizes that knowledge. And that's fine. Like that's internally or or maybe they don't. Right. They 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 produce garbage and they think they're producing knowledge, but they're actually producing garbage. Um, and it's hard to know from the inside, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it isn't hard to know I, from I the inside. I think that basically the way you show a field is garbage is by being better at doing the thing they're trying to do than they are. That That is how you show that that field's particular method or epistemology that they have developed is wrong or is at least now underdeveloped. That's one, that's one very powerful argument. Like if you can get a physicist role into... Uh, you know, this other random field that supposedly has all this expertise and and do whatever practical thing they were trying to do better. You know, like the boxer going in and beating up the key masters is, is a perfect example of this, I think. But that relies on there being this sort of like more broadly verifiable thing that they're doing. Maybe that's necessary. I think there are probably fields of knowledge that are producing real knowledge that don't have that, though. Like, there needs to be that verifiable... Like, that is why fields should try to formalize the method that they're actually using, right? Because that is how you can figure out whether that method is the best way of doing something or not. I but that, that comes later sign. on. Yeah, in, it does come later on. It does come later on, right? And, and it's continually refined. It's not a static thing that you just do once. Um, but, but that opens, right. That's why these things change. I mean, like there's, there's these cases, like the relationship of engineering to science where it's not the scientists themselves that are, that are doing the key demonstrations, but it's the engineers, the engineers, like the key, the key fact is that the engineers read the scientists because the engineers are actually building stuff and, and they read the, they read the scientists that they trust to produce good knowledge and when they actually when they use uh, that knowledge, they are able to produce better results. Um, yeah. There's also a risk here, though, right? Which is that you can have someone who kind of converges on a better prediction, uh, but like then tries to validate a much bigger frame. So my favorite example of this is like how long have yeah, humans existed in the Americas? Where What's that? Um, how long have what? How long have humans existed in the Americas? Oh, right. Uh, where where you have like evidence now that actually we might have been here a lot longer than the 13,000 year mark. And now you can find people out there who are making that claim and invoking evidence that was not really accepted as yet by the, the formal archaeological community. But the problem is a lot of those people are also prone to like thinking that the pyramids were built through telepathy or by aliens. And it's like, okay, so the the troublesome thing becomes like when people try to sneak in proof of a much wider view of the world or method than uh, their one success is actually making valid. So yeah. right, this is why this is also ongoing. You can't, one victory does not give you like permanent authority uh, in the thing. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, there's the old stop clock is right twice a day thing. But course, then there's yeah. also, I think, uh, a point we made in a recent tweet thread, which was that these crazies, which are often like these crazies are often the most 
are, like are the people who actually come up with the new ideas who actually get adopted. It's not just like, oh yeah, the Americas was populated 100,000 years ago, but where they come up with the key arguments and evidence and key methodologies and so on. Um, like a bunch of this has happened in archaeology a few times where like someone's work is totally discredited, but but like the, the, the everyone's like just kind of nervous about the fact that 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 like like most of their stuff maybe was discredited. But actually, this one thing is now the foundation of of like how we how we do things in a certain area because it actually was good and they actually did come up with something good uniquely. Yeah. Um, People who are cutting edge in like human civilization questions are often crazy. Yeah, I yeah, and and this. so so that's another sort of dimension to this whole thing is how do you deal with the crazies who actually come up with the real stuff? Um, but let's put that aside for now, sure. and I want to get back to the next question, question of like, how do we know that an expert community, like, can how do we know from the outside that an expert community or that some discourse or whatever is actually producing knowledge? And so there's there's a few things here. One is Here's a bet that I would make. If you take someone from another working expert community and you drop them in to that one and they observe it for a while, they will have a pretty good sense of whether it's real or not. And sometimes they'll get it wrong. Sometimes they'll think it's real when it isn't. And sometimes they will think it's not real when it is. But I think they'll have a pretty good sense because there are probably commonalities in method. There probably are actually commonalities in method between different fields that actually work. There are probably things that they actually do in common that produce knowledge and, and drive out bad knowledge, um, but, but they're not necessarily reducible to, you know, oh, we check, we check the knowledge with experiment, or maybe they are uh, in some form, but, but like, not not um, to sort of hand waved so called scientific method today. They're not necessarily fitting with exactly what our narrative currently is. But there are, I would say that there probably are these commonalities between the working fields. But then you also have other lines of evidence where you need to often judge a field from the outside. So. What are the outside markers of a field? One is they can do something practical that is recognizable to everyone else that no one else can do. Mm. Um, that's that's an interesting indicator, right? It doesn't necessarily determine it. There are fields that can do something that no one else can do who have bad explanations of how they're able to do that. And and there are probably fields there are probably fields that are real that are producing real knowledge that that haven't yet figured out how to do something that no one else can do. Uh, but, but these, this is another line of evidence. So here's, here's, here's a, you know, the thing that comes to mind here is that, you know, ultimately if we take a Bayesian, uh, approach to knowledge, you're inherently stuck with the situation where you have multiple lines of evidence on whether something is real or not. And you have to just add those lines of evidence up with your priors and make a judgment. And there is like the key thing about the the sort of Bayesian stuff is that no matter how much you think about it, you're not going to really get uh, a nice objective. Like it has it has nice rigorous grounding, but it's not necessarily objectively commensurable between and and interest like intersubjectively commensurable between different people who are looking at the same evidence. 
they right. so in they, practice your certainty is lower uh essentially like you 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 are not going to be absolutely certain what's well, and it's not just it's that you're not certain. absolutely certain but but that there isn't this thing of like a shared mechanical procedure that where like if the thing is verified according to this mechanical procedure we can both agree that that it's verified like mm-hmm. there isn't there isn't this mechanical procedure that is feasible to execute outside of the context of any individual mind. There's inherently the judgment of people and or the judgment of individual minds. Right. And um, just because of the complexity of how you add up and judge all the evidence. And so that's that's maybe a rigorous or a semi-rigorous grounding for the idea that actually it ultimately comes down to judgment. And you have to, it's, it's this very sort of historical organic process of building up this large community of mutually recognized fields of knowledge that recognize each other as valuable. Um, but that, of course, once you have anything like that, obviously politics comes into it. So politics can obviously mess it all up. Right. And, so and maybe- certain judgments can still be valid, right? So one example I like of this is um Copernicus saw discrepancies in his initial uh model right his heliocentric model right. um that he essentially ignored uh said we'll overlook these Galileo praises him for doing this because he ends up finding evidence to explain uh why those discrepancies exist so you can have a degree of certainty where you just stick your neck out so the anomalies in in Newtonian physics where like there were little little anomalies like the orbit of of uh Neptune and the orbit of uh Mercury were not quite what they were predicted and you sort of have to accept these little anomalies and say actually you know what we're going to accept that anomaly and and we'll assume that some explanation exists somewhere and we'll we'll keep we'll keep going despite the anomaly and this is i mean Kuhn in Thomas Kuhn in, in the structure of scientific revolutions makes this point that like there is no theory that doesn't have these anomalies. Like so if you take a strict a strict uh, falsificationist view, you, you get nowhere because like you immediately run into evidence that falsifies your theory. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's just because you haven't figured out how to how to understand that evidence yet. But like you immediately you're, you're always immediately running into anomalies all over the place. And you have to basically make the judgment on the balance of evidence whether you are going to continue working in this theory or not. And again, this comes back to the sort of Bayesian thing or just like ultimately it comes down to to some human judgment somewhere. Mm -hmm. Do you see applications in what we've discussed here to answering the second question about legitimacy and the political I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think let's, let's cap off this this thing with at least a bold claim that we can go back on later. Mm-hmm. But let's cap the question again is how do we know which fields of knowledge are real or where we are producing real knowledge? And the null hypothesis to abuse the term is that there is no magic bullet for knowing that there is no simple verification procedure. There is, there are commonalities between working fields and if we study enough working fields we can come to understand roughly what those commonalities are and how they apply and we have these various lines of evidence like how experts from one field perceive 
another field and whether they use it, whether anyone actually seems to rely on it for making real important decisions, for whether they're able to do anything that anyone else, that, that everyone else is not able to do, whether they're able to, you know, make tight predictions of reality or, or various things. These are all lines of evidence. None of them is infallible, but we integrate those lines of evidence into a holistic judgment if we need a rigorous grounding for that, we use sort of a Bayesian grounding. The, the, the probability, probability theory itself actually doesn't yet sort of fully encode epistemology. There are still inadequacies there, but it's a good, a good sort of prompt for thought of just like you inherently need the judgment of a particular mind looking at a bunch of evidence and with a bunch of wisdom. Uh, to make these judgments, and so that's this is the this is the null hypothesis. The null hypothesis is that it comes down to the judgment of minds and the buildup of wisdom and expertise, and these things. Uh, you can judge them uh, heuristically, but there is no simple verification procedure. Right. So, in, in the political sense, then the capacity for wise judgment itself maybe becomes. Uh, the thing we should look for in terms of legitimacy, if in fact we need to be able to judge between multiple different methods and even epistemologies about the world, then that judgment for someone at the center, like you know, governing a whole society, becomes vital. There's no yeah. way around it. And and I wanna I wanna like flag that these different there are there are very different modes of knowing that both work. So the the craftsmanship like technological. I can build stuff that works mode of knowing is so different from the philosophical I'm looking at evidence and and like arguments and so on. It's so different that they're not even you can't even sort of once you realize what they are, you can't even imagine them to be commensurable because one of them is about machines that work and the other one is about arguments mm -hmm. and you can set up these translations between them. Uh, and these correspondences, but they are actually very different modes of knowing. And and likewise, you know, you're going to get very different modes of knowing in, let's say, social intuition or, I don't know, like athletics or building. Yeah, like like leadership. Like there's all these different domains where there's something real going on. Someone is building real expertise and real knowledge, but they are not operating in any sort of commensurable way with so-called science. So I just want to make the point before we come off this topic that as we're sort of coming up with this idea of how do we know that there's knowledge, we should be aware that this applies far beyond the bounds of what we currently call science. Like there's sort of this idea that, oh, well, there's these topics that are science. And within those, uh, we use this thing called the scientific method. And then outside the bounds of science, it's either all garbage or you know they've got something else going on and we're not going to talk about that yeah and and what i'm saying is this weakened form of uh, this weakened thing of like we only have the human judgment of like whether there is real knowledge being produced there actually applies much more broadly than than the scientific yeah. method and it rejects the cannibalization of of useful stuff by by one useful epistemology. I, I want to say right, there that, is right? no like one true yeah. way of knowing. The, the the thing is, right, in in civilizations, it's actually fairly normal to have like very distinctive methods and epistemologies interacting with each other and the resulting thing being so effective 
that uh, it it converges or something else emerges from them. So I I made the point earlier about Hellenistic modernity. You have this kind of you know I'm going to use the metaphor Greeks as en- as scientists, Romans as as engineers. But when you put that sort of like Greek philosophical tradition together with the Roman political structure, the result was so powerful and enduring that we refer to them just as Greco-Roman civilization, right? As one thing, just in the way that in modernity, the in practice, very different ways of knowing about the world actually function together in such effective ways that we do refer to modernity. And so by admitting that actually these different things can work together extremely effectively, we can cast aside the spook and actually maybe maintain or even rebirth, revitalize the that plurality that actually is the thing that creates a civilization as a whole. Yeah, so so this th- th- this leads in nicely a little bit to wanting to answer that second question, which is the question of the legitimacy of power, um, given that we're now denying it the scientific mode of legitimacy, which is in fact a lie uh, a lot of the time. You asked... Is any of this that we're talking about with respect to how we actually know things, is any of that applicable to the question of the legitimacy of power? I would say maybe yes and no. Yes, in that maybe the political mode is itself a way of knowing that there is this this thing of statecraft uh, that has its own way of interacting with the world and its own sort of actions and that it can build up its own way of knowing and that we can come sort of from the outside or or by looking at its insides to know that it actually knows what it's doing and there's actually something real there. There is a real built up machinery of functionality and wisdom and knowledge happening in, in a statecraft community. So there's, there's that. So we can kind of integrate the idea that there is a legitimate such thing as expertise in statecraft, practical expertise in statecraft, such that the, the people in charge know what they're doing and they have some idea of what they're doing that isn't just a scientific or, or like that isn't just this this like hand waving kind of statistical science TM thing. Uh, they have their own way of knowing that can be somewhat verified from outside. Uh, so there's that idea. But two. I think that doesn't necessarily cover the whole of the legitimacy thing. I like I don't think the the whole of the legitimacy question comes from do the powers that be know what they're doing. I think that certainly helps if they know what they're doing and we can have some some like social recognition of the fact that they know what they're doing that definitely helps their legitimacy. But I think there is also this thing of uh, the idea that power and politics and the mode of political being that we have as members of a society does not reduce to a question of verifying someone else's expertise. It's its own domain. It's not an epistemological domain. Um, It's, or, I mean, you can, there are epistemological problems in it. Like, am I getting the orders from the right person sort of thing? But like, I, I think it's the, the political and, the scientific, uh, broadly and properly construed, are different things. And so it, it cannot, like no amount of a good account of the sciences can answer, fully answer the questions of political legitimacy. I think political legitimacy, again, if we come with the null hypothesis here, 
the null hypothesis in political legitimacy is the political power structure is legitimate if it's doing things that you think are good. <laughs> and like, yeah, that's that's just like my candidate good, your candidate bad. But that might just be the nature of politics, right? Yeah, it's- there's this question I think we're going to have to overlook here as to like, what are the things that political power is trying to do? I mean, I'd be interested to hear if you think that there there is some, like whether choosing the goals of power is itself a question of epistemology or method. I mean, I definitely think that knowing the nature of the world uh, in, in part determines which goals you pick for yourself and for society. But we kind of, I think, probably have to overlook the specifics of that in this discussion and just kind of, you know, uh, pose the question of how, how can you know those things? Well, let me let me give the null hypothesis on that, too, which is that the state that that question is properly within the domain of the statecraft expertise community, uh, which is to say the ruling class. And, you know, they're going to have some answer to it. Uh, and hopefully they have a good one. Mm, I, I think this is more of a map answer than than a, an answer to the question, though. But I think this is probably right. What there, we want to there is the question of case. like, how can we come to ha- to have good answers to that question? But yeah. I think like, as far as the rest like, of society is how concerned, how do they determine those answers? Right. As far as the rest of society is concerned, it's like the statecraft community either knows what they're doing with society or they don't. Anyways, the, the, so legitimacy. We're talking about legitimacy. We're talking perhaps. Let's let's sum this into a final bold positive legitimacy right the, the, the final bold positive the, the null hypothesis in legitimacy which can replace science in society is that again it's just that 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 simple political thing like are they doing things that are good now we can be a little bit more concrete than that i think there's the basics you're not going to believe that the regime is good if they're not providing you basic material security uh, and and prosperity. It's very hard to believe in in their overall program if it's not even delivering that for you. But again, I'm I'm making the claim here implicitly that legitimacy is the judgment of a particular political actor, and and, and its legitimacy is not an objective question. It is a question for each political actor: Am I friends with the regime? And do I support the regime? And so there's there's the obvious. Things like the material prosperity, material security, you know, are you getting hit by nasty storms or rebellions or or bandits or criminals or like starvation or whatever? Or are you basically able to live and prosper in this society? And that this comes to like some of the traditional ideas like the mandate of heaven. Uh, you know, the man if if they're not able to deliver on these basic things like the protection against rebellions and uh natural disasters maybe the maybe the the rebellion or the or the natural disaster is actually a sign from heaven that this regime is illegitimate Mm -hmm. um it's sort of this interesting way of encoding that idea anyways and then beyond the basic material security we have how are they changing society what kind of society are they building what kind of big goals do they have are these things that you find compelling as goals for society? Do you support those? And so the question is really like, are you an enemy of the regime in that you're going to attempt to organize against them and attempt to sabotage them? Are you neutral in that you'll accept their rule 
and sort of go along with them, but maybe perhaps not enthusiastically? Or are you an active, enthusiastic supporter, in which case you will attempt in your own, under your own power to carry out the regime's goals uh, and to contribute to the regime's goals? This is sort of like, I, I don't know, the spectrum of legitimacy. And if if we make legitimacy sort of a personal judgment and, and it's sort of along that spectrum, this is, again, I'm sort of throwing a null hypothesis here. It's a maximally simplified kind of blunt answer. I think that's a reasonable answer to the whole question. And then there's there's maybe other dimensions where it gets yeah, into social things. I am a little things. confused by uh, the way you worded this, though. Are, are you stating that, like, which one of those paths you take is your answer as to whether you think the regime is legitimate or not, or is having the capacity to make that judgment legitimacy? No, le- legitimacy comes down to like where the rubber hits the road is your personal decision on whether you oppose, are neutral, or support the regime. But are we talking then about the legitimate? Like, I, I don't quite understand then how you determine regime legitimacy itself. Like, or are you well, saying it's, that it's, there again, is no it's a complex, there, it's a complex personal judgment about what the regime is doing. Okay, so you're make, you're making legitimacy then like the subjective question. We are not going to ask is the relief, is the regime legitimate in in the sort of like out there sense. Rather, it's it's like yeah. I mean, I think I think there are things. There is sort of an out there sense, which is like God's perspective, and you know, like right. <laughs> there absolute are, subject, right? As so, as like I said right, last like time. like some some regimes are just going to die because they're actually doing something stupid, and or or you know, some act of God is going to destroy them. And maybe there is some ultimate logic to that. I think I happen to think there is. We can talk about that at another time. But basically, like to the extent that there's any objective notion of legitimacy, I think that's basically the domain of God. But we can also come to knowledge of that as well. Like if you notice that the regime, maybe it has your support or would have your support, but everyone else in society doesn't support it uh, because they're all getting screwed then that might go into your logic of like, well, maybe the regime isn't going to be able to continue providing its own existence and is therefore illegitimate. Like, it, because the, the legitimacy question comes down to, is this something worth supporting? And if it's going to die, it's not worth supporting. Right. And the thing is, I, I can see the the um, objection here. Well, but it's actually, you know, there doesn't seem to even be unified agreement today on the question of what does the stable, healthy society look like. I think if you look at, for example, the the debates in the late Joe era, Confucius versus the Legalists versus the Taoists, right, right. there seems to be actually a fairly high degree of agreement on like what does the healthy society look like. But then there's these disagreements on how you get there. Right? Does the emperor have to do the right rituals, or does he just have to solve the power questions? Uh, today, there's less agreement there. I don't think you can escape the question in this case of like, what does the healthy society look like? I mean, if you're being overrun by rebellions, that's a very easily, uh, like there's probably something wrong there. Um, There are probably like more stable forms of chaos that you have to resolve for. I just want to make the point here that you can't actually escape that question of what the healthy society is when you're making this judgment about the regime. Right, right. You do have to make that judgment of what, what, again, what goals is the regime pursuing and are they the right ones? What kind of society is it building? Is it the right kind of society? And, and to some extent, that's determined by like, you know, what's legitimate, so-called in the eyes of God of like, what's actually going to survive. 
And to some extent, there may be other considerations there in your theory of justice or, or your theory of morality or whatever. But again, the point I would make, or that this null hypothesis on legitimacy would make, is that ultimately it is a personal judgment that you have to make a personal judgment about the regime. Do you support the regime? And then, you know, another another thing that's going to come out of this, obviously, is not everyone has equal votes in this legitimacy thing, because you're actually voting with your own power and people have very unequal power. Uh, you can have a situation where a regime is legitimate in this null hypothesis sense, despite being opposed by the majority of people, because it is supported by the majority of the power. You know, we can perhaps get into those complexities another time. But I'm, I'm just putting this forth as like something to think about that might help us answer this question. So finally, we get to the question of on what grounds does, does the regime sort of claim the authority to command society, if not science? I guess null hypothesis answer, it's like, well, we have the power because everyone has a general consensus that we're legitimate and they're cooperating with us in, give, in lending us their power. And everyone seems to accept that we know what we're doing in the guidance of society. So therefore, you should also accept and cooperate with, with our decisions of what we're doing with society. Or have a good case for why most of society is actually wrong and has bad judgment on this. Right. I mean, but but like that good case is like, save it for the history books, man. Like no one has to listen to you if you- Well, if, I if mean, maybe, the right? Minority. The important thing is you can build power, right? Like this yeah, is yeah. the thing that no, you Right, right. Like you can- if if you have a good case for why this is why the regime is wrong, there are there is recourse beyond just like save it for the history books. You can go and build your own power or try to convince people and but do it in a way that that isn't directly causing you to get into political conflict with the regime. I, so I think this is one possible answer. This is like again this sort of the open rule of power answer to the postmodern condition and. And this may be uh, combined with our sort of answer to the epistemological question, which is that there are these there are these epistemological communities whose legitimacy actually works in a very similar way. It's do you trust them, right? Do you lend them your trust? And and that is a complex personal judgment, and that that it becomes social in the sense that like consensus is a real thing, um, and the social consensus is an important aspect of this. But like ultimately and fundamentally. It is a, a holistic personal judgment. And so we're uh, giving the null hypothesis. I, 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 we need a better term than the null hypothesis, but like it's, it's like bunting in baseball, you know, like the, the pitcher throws you, a, throws you a pitch and you the just like hold out the most restrained account of legitimacy maybe in, in, it's in the, the, the most sense. what? The most restrained account, like yeah. with, with the least additional facts about yeah. what is necessary for yeah, power. It's, it's, it's like, I, I, it's just this, this mental move that I do. It's just like, an obnoxious simplification of the problem that you nonetheless can't refute. Right, right. So let let me give like the what one initial critique, uh, maybe not even quite a critique. I think that in this account, and I also want to draw this a little more tightly together with our discussion and the paradigm we put forward before, where to understand these questions of legitimacy, you are going to need to know a number of things about the world. And there may be multiple different communities of practice or methods or ways of thinking about the world that help you do that, which is why this plurality of methods is important. I, I do think that um, like the, the sort of hypothesis you put forward, I think, focuses heavily on the power aspect, um, which is necessary 
but I would also want to say that um, the the questions of how power is used are probably sufficiently complex enough that uh, you you can't actually dodge the questions that arise in every society about what power should actually do. I don't think, like, I can see yeah. people drawing the conclusion that it's kind of like, we don't actually need to think about those questions because power just seeks its own health and strength um, in a very simplistic sense, and this is not actually the correct conclusion because that is not what we actually see in any civilization. Yeah, so seeking the health and strength of power, again, is itself a very complex discipline. Uh, if you were to reduce it to that simple thing, which I don't think it can be reduced to. But again, so this this sort of this null hypothesis on legitimacy, which is that it's a complex, a, a complex, holistic, personal judgment that can be made with 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 some degree of sort of, let's see, like perspective adjusted correctness, not, not necessarily objectivity, but perspective objective perspective adjusted correctness that answer has a sort of a version that applies to the question of political authority and a version that applies to the question of intellectual authority. And we're saying maybe that thing replaces science, that that admission of the like openly nature, openly political nature of of epistemological authority and political authority can replace the the big hand wave of science, which is that it's not political, right? And but pol- political in a sense that still has to be thought about with regards to the world we live in. Like basically, I yes. I don't actually accept the thesis that we live in this like dream world that is just power manifest. I don't. Actually no, no, think it's this not at true. all. It's, power there's, is one part of the world. Yeah, yeah. There there is a very there there's a very sort of complex reality that we must deal with. Uh, like like our best models, I'll put it in this sort of postmodern terminology, our best models are that the world actually is real um, and that we do have to actually deal with its complexities. It's not simply like naked power and nothing else. It's not all is power. It's that in making the ultimate judgments between incommensurable and incomparable models, there is ultimately an act of judgment. And that ultimate act of judgment has very political dimensions to it in the sense that like you're deciding friend enemy, you're deciding who you trust, you're deciding who you support. And it's not an objective thing. It's a subjective thing. But but it, it bears on like you are making your subjective judgment about the best way to deal with an objective reality. And yes. I, I think that's like the core of it. It's like, no, we are not saying that there is no actual reality out there that we can come to real knowledge of we're saying there are different ways of knowing that it's there is no simple procedure for deciding which way of knowing is correct but you do still nonetheless have to make your subjective judgment about which ways of knowing are correct what actually is knowledge and how the world actually works and once you accept the legitimacy of that personal judgment by you and by other people you have to also deal with the inherent political nature of that judgment, but an acceptance there also nicely gets you uh, a nice blunt null hypothesis on the question of political legitimacy as well, which is that there is a consensus that the regime is legitimate. It's kind of circular, but it kind of isn't. 
I think with that arc, Wolf, uh, we, we've gone through a lot of theory here, and I'm really pleased with the output. I'm basically happy to leave it there for now. There's a lot of off uh, yeah. trails we could go no, down. No, we've, we've, gone, we've gone way over time here, um, but I think we've, we've gotten to a good point in attempting an actually, an, we have attempted an actual answer to the question of how do we kill science and or how do we save science uh, and or what comes after modernity. So yeah, and if you got to the end of this podcast after getting mad about the title, well, uh, now you can tell your physicist friends that actually they'll be able to do lots of productive work. So congratulations. <laughs> yes, and and obviously, again, this stuff is all based on these internal discussions that we're having with the community, and so we would love to have you all involved. Please do subscribe and come to our internal discussions where we can sort out these questions and then. Uh, really make some intellectual progress, hopefully, in our own little way of knowing here. At yeah, and that's palladiummag.com slash subscribe, where you can sign up for the community salons, our other salons, and the like. Okay, well, with that, let's leave it. And we'll see you all next week with another thought-provoking and possibly controversial topic like how to kill science, except different. <laughs> okay, guys. All right. Uh, Wolf, it was a great discussion. See you guys later. Bye.